0: Thanks for joining us again on the Pretty Intense podcast. Today on the show is Vienna Farron. She is a licensed marriage and family therapist. She has a new book out called The Origins of You. Immediate disclosure, she was my therapist for about a year and a half. We actually started the episode with me going into the four most impactful things that I learned while working with her. We went into depth into what those are, what they mean, how to access them. The thing about doing therapy and doing work and work on yourself is knowing how to even know to do it. It's like the first thing that we talk about is the observer, like how to access the observer. How do you even do that when you get caught in a moment? Like how do you how do you stop it before you just end up in your pattern or in your trigger. There's so many good like access points that Vienna gives as to how to get to those places so that we can truly just experience more joy, more peace in our lives. I mean, isn't that the point? And so, you know, it comes through some pain, it comes through some change uh, and it comes through facing things and sitting in the fire. But I promise you, uh, I'm product of not work that's done as she states and as I know it's never done. But there are levels to it and um, I love the work and I love being more happy and more joyful and having maybe a more accurate perspective from time to time and not being caught in my patterns or as she says, the origins of you, meaning your patterns and your wounds that get developed when you're a kid. So. Anyway, great, great episode. Please enjoy this with Vienna. Uh, hit subscribe and the bell for notifications. Uh, I'm super grateful for you here. And please let me know what you think in the comments and share sort of your experiences and maybe some pathways to growth that have really worked for you. It's pretty. Like, this is a pretty book. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's not always easy
1: to do because, like, it's what- not. And it's like, it's very different like i'm a very neutrally person it does it it's like it's a book that someone who doesn't know me might pick up because it catches their eye i actually think that the colors make it
0: happy and hopeful too like there's an there's a there's sort of an underlying energy to the colors being like the origins of you which the truth is is we're here to talk about the shitty ones Right. But it's like here but they're in green and blue and yellow right. and red and pink. <laughs> yeah, and then they open up the book and they're like, "Uh-oh. <laughs> you got a great chance cuz this is these are things that the world needs." um and you're an incredible therapist uh, truth be told uh, to the world uh, vienna has been my therapist uh, you were my therapist for like a year and a half so um we have a lot of we, we know a lot about well you know a lot about me i know i know a lot about you but you know a lot about me
1: yeah
0: um and so i can attest to the fact that you know you're incredible and um okay i'm trying to think where to start i was going to ask you about the book but maybe since i've just said that I'll do what I wanted to do is I went back to my notes from when we worked together Mm. and I because there were so many gems, like especially early on when I was so needing it, Mm -hmm. like there were just some huge like hits that I was like, wow. And that was kind of the magic of working together is that you there was always just like a statement at the end of each session that was like, oh, that's it. Um so you really <laughs> distill things down very well. There was four things that I pulled from the notes that I thought were truly Truly, truly, the most transformative things for me in my life that I still use to today. So I, I thought we go through them and you could explain oh, them I and explain them. like what it means and how to access it and mm-hmm. and just sort of the the origins of these uh, of these thoughts. Um, so I thought that would be I thought that oh, would that's be a good cool. I love it. this. Okay. okay. Yeah. So the first one is, uh, the observer, like being able to access the observer and to pause and have that moment. So explain to people, what is the observer and how the hell do we Mm -hmm. get there?
1: Yeah. I love the observer. It's, you know, I think the observer actually births from the witnessing component to what I talk about in the book. So So first, like the observer to to almost step out of being in this moment, this experience, this conflict that you're having, this big reaction that you're experiencing. And it's in that pause. um, It's been attributed to to Viktor Frankl. Th- that that space between, you know, res- uh, stimulus and response, Spons. right? And yeah. so it's in this space, right, where we can, where if we can just take the beat, right, pause for a moment and become the observer of what's happening in my inner world right now, right? What's going on? Because in that space, we start to be able to ask ourselves the questions like, what's familiar about this moment? You know, what, what, what origin wound is this rubbing up against? I always say, right, that like as adults, it's very uncommon for us to have a first experience in terms of emotion. It's not uncommon to have a first experience of you know, content and context, something that's happening in our lives. But when it rubs up against, ooh, I'm starting to question my worthiness, I'm starting mm-hmm. to question my belonging, I'm st- starting to question whether I feel like a priority in somebody's life, I'm starting to question whether I can trust this person, this situation, or I'm starting to, to question whether or not I feel safe in this dynamic, right? It's like those things, which are the origin wounds I talk about in in the book, right? It's like, that's what's familiar. And so when we can become the observer in these moments where, there's a big reactivity, there's a pattern that I keep finding myself in, and I need to become curious and, you know, get, get, into the inquiry of what's actually being presented here, we're going to find something, something that links to something else that is unresolved about our past. It's not really about the thing happening. It's about the thing inside you. Yeah. I mean, it's like, you've heard this before, right? Like, therapists around the world are like, it's not about the toilet seat. It's not about the towel on the bed. Not it's not, the not about sister. the, yeah. Right. Like all of these things, which sure, objectively, sometimes are quite annoying. Sometimes we're like, no, 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 no. I promise it's about the towel on the bed. I'm like, listen, I get it. Right. And there is also something additional that's playing out yeah. here. Those that's are kind so of the important. systemic,
0: the systemic sort of reactions. Yes. To the origin, like this is the hard part, I think, because it's like, All in theory, it's great. Access the observer, have a pause, Mm -hmm. but we aren't freaking Buddhas, right? And we're not on a mountain. We've got stimulus happening all the time. Mm -hmm. When I visited Egypt, I was introduced to an expert aromacologist who explained the healing powers of various scents. I returned home with 18 bottles of powerful essences that unlocked specific feelings and had all sorts of healing properties. I became inspired to find a functional way to deliver them in a new consumer lifestyle product. Candles became my medium. Voyant means seer, a reference to the inner eye chakra. One of the key energy points in the body essential to wellness and healing. Voyant is a doorway to openness and imagination. A catalyst in our daily journey, whether you're connecting with others or enjoying alone time, Voyant strives to beautify the home and the soul, to create a haven of peace and joy. The candle is delivered with a beautiful monogram 12-ounce stemless wine glass, which can be used after the wax is gone. My limited edition candle collection is available exclusively at voidbydanica.com. What is some ways that we can orient ourselves differently in the world Mm -hmm. on a macro level Mm -hmm. that gives us the ability to have a pause? Because it's not not knowing that a pause is good. Everybody knows a pause is good. Problem is you can't it's it's very hard mm-hmm. when you get the stimulus or you get the trigger. So like, what is it that comes first before you can actually become an observer?
1: What I would say is, to practice when you're not in the stimulus. Right? Mm-hmm. So a lot of times we try to practice when, you know, that we're on stage and it's like nope, can't do it. Already I activated, can pissed off in the loop, ready to go and like we're out. Right? Mm-hmm. And so so much of the inquiry and the curiosity, it's really helpful when we're doing that work when we're Feeling grounded when we're just in a place of questioning and wanting to get to know these parts of ourselves better when we're not actually in that hot seat. You're right. When we're when we're in it and we don't have the you know we're trying to practice the tools, but the tools are out the window before we even know it. It can feel like it's it's a pointless uh, path to go down. The second thing that I would say though is one of the things that helped me so much personally was that the more that I witnessed and grieved my own pain the less likely i would need to hook into the pattern or the loop when it when it was trying to play itself out even when the stimulus was happening so what i mean by that is when i when you can identify what the origin wound is Right. So again, whether that's, I don't feel worthy, I don't feel deserving. I don't feel good enough. Whether it's, I don't feel like I fit in. I don't have a sense of belonging. I don't feel like a priority to my partner, et cetera, et cetera. Right. When we can actually see like, Ooh, here's the thing that activates me. And then if I connect my dots and I travel backwards a bit, I'm going to probably find that, that lived somewhere else too, right? Maybe I didn't feel like a priority with a parent. Um, maybe I didn't feel like a priority with a sibling, right? Maybe that was something that was deeply impactful for me. And so when we go back into this origin space and we begin to actually process and feel and connect and witness the pain of that, because usually those origin wounds, they do cut deep, Right. They're not just like a brush, you know. It's like, no, these are things that actually change the trajectory of our lives, of our worlds, of our beliefs about ourselves, ourselves and other people and life at large. Right. These are significant moments that set the stage for us. And so when we go back to those moments and we actually witness the little Vienna in this case, right, who you know, who was the observer and the witnesser of a tremendous amount of conflict and gaslighting and manipulation and paranoia and abuse as a little girl uh, through through my parents' divorce, right? Like, ooh, and I get to witness her and what it was like for this little human who had no other siblings, who didn't have any other adults around to help her process this, right? Then I start to connect with you know the part of me that that didn't feel emotionally safe right where i felt like they had lost focus of what my emotional needs were at that time because you know they were so distracted by their own pain and their own suffering right right and so when you can start to connect to that to grieve alongside of it. I always say like when in doubt grieve more. You know, mm-hmm. it's like when stuck grieve more. Like anything grieve more. <laughs> you know, it's like yeah, our experiences need our grief. Mm-hmm. And my personal experience with this is that the more time that I spent with little me, you know, the more time I spent connecting to that pain, the more time I spent um witnessing what that was like for little me the less I needed to engage in the dysfunction present day because I was tending to myself elsewhere. So instead of trying to get whomever, right, whether it's a parent or someone else to witness or see or acknowledge me in this current moment, right? There was almost like a like a emotional bank account of I've done, I'm doing the witnessing. I've done wow. the witnessing. I have a great partner who sees yeah. me, hears me understand. Right. Is well, the, me, is right? this like, true? Like an, a yeah. comment that comes
0: through and like repeatedly, like when you see the little, little girl or little boy within you, yeah. it's the innocence and the perfection. And you you have, it's, it's something separate from you, but it's still treating it like it's separate from you is still treating you. And so you'd never treat your kid like that. You'd never say you don't belong. You'd never say you're right. not worthy. So it almost like accesses that. Is this really true kind of mm-hmm. a question?
1: Yeah. It's right. And it and it and it disrupts that because that's what we're talking about with this, you know, going back to your original question around, you know, how sure the observer in theory is great, but in practice, and I think it's when you are tending to yourself or you invite in humans in your life who tend to you well, whether friendship, mm-hmm. partnership, et cetera, mm-hmm. right, then you are less likely and less in need of engaging in the dance that you know is not going to go very well with a particular person, right? Like you don't need to hook into that dysfunctional pattern, right? Yeah. This loop um, and tending to yourself or having other humans who can witness and tend, I say it in the book, like there's this moment, um I was talking to a family member, the conversation was going in the same way that it always goes. It was on speakerphone at the time my husband was in the room. And after we hung up, he said, I get it. You know, I I in in so many words, he was validating an experience that I had, you know, complained about um for some time. I remember it was such a simple, but really profound moment for me because I realized that I didn't need the person who put the wound there in the first place to be the person who witnessed my pain that's nice if we can get it certainly of course but i remember this deeply profound moment of like
0: in the heart of napa valley lays somnium which means to dream in latin the somnium vineyard estate is an extension of the love and intensity that i pour into everything i do to experience our wines, visit SomniumWine.com and use the code SOMNIUM to receive a $10 flat shipping rate. Please drink
1: responsibly. doesn't have to be that person. Yeah, well, it can they don't be have to correct their wound. Yeah. Right. And again, like in theory might sound like, yeah, duh, of course, right? But I think so many of us, especially in family dynamics, family systems, like there's this wish there's this deep want and need, right. That a parent might be able to acknowledge and, you know, just acknowledge your pain, right? Or just acknowledge your experience or just take ownership for something that you really want them to own. And mm-hmm. so sometimes we get so caught up in it. I've had so many conversations with people where it's like, well, maybe if I say it this way, or maybe if I write a letter, if maybe I use this tone or maybe Which use that tone. You Which know? leads
0: to point uh-huh. number two, <laughs> that was literally the most transformative thing that you said to me. Ooh. Do you know what it was? Can you remember? No. No, I don't know what it was. Well, you talked to hours, hours and hours, thousands of people. Um, I don't expect you to, but it's probably because it's so second nature to you. But it's when you told me that day after I was complaining about all the things and dad yeah. and parents and and you were like, nobody holds the keys. Mm. And I was like, fuck. Because mm-hmm. I, I think the first thing I said was I was like, "Whoa!" and I started crying, and I was like, "That's really heavy," because that means that it's all on me. Like it's, I don't know mm-hmm. if I said it's my fault, but I'm like essentially alone and figuring that out. And you're like, "No, you're not. You have mm-hmm. me. You have people. You don't have to do it alone." But mm-hmm. it is mm-hmm. up to you. It's like I say now. Yeah. It's like your wounds are not your fault, but they are your responsibility to heal. And so when you reminded me or at least like got it through Mm -hmm. to me, there was Mm -hmm. like the freaking crack in the door was there and you're like, nobody holds the keys because no matter what anyone said, it just didn't work. Right. And so it totally flipped the script, which helps me with the observer because Uh I now know that whenever something is happening, Mm -hmm. all I do is say, what's my part in this? Because mm-hmm. I know that it's my perception of a re- of a of a situation that mm-hmm. is dictating the way that I feel, so I'm like, what is my part? Yeah. So nobody um, holds the keys. So so yeah. I, I powerful.
1: Love you. Yeah, I love hearing <laughs> your <it>. words. <laughs> your yeah! words. I love hearing it because it's so funny when you're like oh my gosh, I said that. You know, like, <laughs> so many people, so many therapists are like, I don't remember all the things that I said, or you don't always know the things that are going to land or resonate so deeply. But I I do recall, um, I do recall this. And I think there's that um, difference. You're psychic. I just want to say that, you know, <laughs> you might not know, you probably know,
0: but that was very apparent to me very early on as you're extremely intuitive. And I can feel yeah. and see and know when you're in those spaces. And yeah. um, it's obviously super helpful that you
1: are. <laughs> yeah, and you're like, oh, I'm listening to this. Uh, mm-hmm. My ears are open right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a, no one holds the keys, right? I think so many of us will get into a place where we start to outsource. There's this bargaining, this negotiation that starts to happen. Once so-and-so does this, then I will feel worthy. Once da 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 happens, then this, right? All of these if-then statements. They start to enter in and we get distracted by them. If only, if only what? That doesn't resolve your origin pain, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's a band-aid. It might feel nice, right? You partner with someone who, like for the first many weeks, is making sure all the dates are happening and they're following through and da-da-da-da. And you're like, I'm a priority, right? And you're yep. like, well you know, maybe right in these moments, there's like a nice experience that feels good, fine, sure. But that thing is not actually tending to the wound, right? To choose someone eventually, right? Who does prioritize you if you have a prioritization wound, for example, that's going to be deeply healing, right? It's going to be deeply healing. But when we go to this space, right? When we bypass it, right? When we try to bypass the wound and just pick the Human who's somehow going to resolve what is deep inside of us for us, right? That can't last that way. And when I describe like resolving our wounds, we all know that this is a forever practice, right? We ebb and flow through it. Sometimes there is much less of a charge, sometimes there's a little bit more of a charge because that's how grief works, right? every time we are brought back into contact with something, right? Like, yeah, there might be a bit of a feeling there. And so our goal is not to get to a place of being unaffected by Mm -hmm. everything, but this idea of like no one out el- no one holds the keys right no one else outside of you is going to do something for you that is going to resolve what needs to be felt and experienced and witnessed by you at least first can other people support in that absolutely right i'm a big believer that if it it's relationships that wound it requires relationships to help us heal right um and and I believe that as individuals, we can only take ourselves so far because it's in theory. It can't be in practice without relationships. So again, in theory, ooh, this is what I'll say when this person does X, you know, like that, that's nice. But until you are in those moments where the wounds are activated again, and you're face to face with the beliefs about yourself that you've been trying to navigate and shift and pause with, right? Like Mm -hmm. it's in those relationships where we have to put, you know, pedal to the metal. Yeah.
0: I think it's a a good opportunity to actually talk a little bit about boundaries because that Mm -hmm. almost feels like I'm going to get to the next point, which kind of has to do with it. But before we do um, boundaries, like mm-hmm. because that's what feels like the natural progression. When you take it into your own, when take it onto yourself, and when you take it into your own hands, and you don't let, you don't need anyone else to fix the situation. Is that it's actually because you're tending to the inner child, which kind of starts with the observer by mm-hmm. going, "What do you need?" You now have a relationship with yourself and mm-hmm. what you need, and when you know what you need. You're not relying on someone else to give it to you. So uh, explain boundaries because this is something that I totally thought was something for someone else. Like, oh, don't do that to me. I never thought they were basically boundaries were from me, meaning like this is how you treat me. This is what I'm willing to put up with and what I'm not willing to put up with. And then I leave. I don't tell you to change. I go because Mm -hmm. these are my boundaries for me.
1: Like how we teach other people how to treat us, right? And like what's allowed and what's not allowed, what's acceptable, what's not acceptable. Mm -hmm. You know, I think a lot of people, there's the difference between setting a boundary and keeping a boundary. Of course, Mm -hmm. there will be people who cross our boundaries and then we have to figure out how we want to, you know, navigate that conversation or what we want to do about that relationship. But yeah, this is absolutely about where we draw that line for ourselves. And drawing that line for ourselves is particularly challenging. Um, when we have unresolved wounds and you know, I, I, I laugh, I'm going to tell a little bit of a story here to try to make this make a lot of sense. I was a boundaryless human for a very long time. And if I journey back to my childhood, um, I know the origins of this. I, uh, When my parents were crashing and burning around me, the way in which I decided to navigate through life was by pretending like I was fine, not I didn't want to add anything more to the table. I was like, they're crashing and burning. There's no more room for me to not be okay. And so I got very good at all of the things that I wanted to do. And just from the outside looking in, I was a very well-adjusted, handling it so well, little girl and yeah, like succeeding. And I share often that I would always, if you asked me how I was doing, I was fine. I'm good. I'm unaffected. All good. All good. All good. You would hear that from me. So this little girl who is a needless little girl, um, an unaffected little girl became a needless woman, an unaffected, I'm fine woman. And how that would show up in relationships was I presented as the cool girl. You know, I was like, I'm down for anything, whatever you want to do. Absolutely, sure. I'm fine. I'm unaffected by this. And that's really tied to my relationship with boundaries. I was afraid that. You know, I, I never knew that not being okay, that there was room for me to not be okay. The fear perception fully recognized that, right? Like I don't, I, I don't necessarily even believe that it was true about my childhood. Like, I think that there probably was room for me to not be okay, but that just wasn't my experience, right? And that's really important. This isn't about what is true or untrue, right? This is how I internalized what was happening around me and how I chose to exist in the world and then the work that I needed to do to shift that. Mm -hmm. And so- in adult relationships, I also did not believe that there was room for me to not be okay. Mm-hmm. I was afraid that if I wasn't okay with something that a relationship would end. Uh, this was tied to a worthiness wound that I learned um, you know, with my dad, bless him. I was like, he's like, how much am I in the book? And I was like, dad, you're in the introduction. And then you're also in the worthiness chapter. And he goes, oh, worthiness. And I'm like, no, no, dad, not in a good way in the conditional love kind of way. And he's like, Oh, <laughs> it's
0: always interesting when we have to like you and I both yeah. being like in the public eye to some degree yeah. like to, to have to sort of present these moments to our parents I when know. they're included in our pain. Yeah. And it's their It's be- because of them. It's a it's a tough part of the process. But I always hope that everyone knows. Myself, my mom, my dad, their parents, everyone causes pain. Like it just yeah, happens. It's just it's it. you're not no one's no one's special. No one's no, perfect.
1: No, that's it. So I get a good chuckle every time I talk about this part of the story. But um, you know, my dad, he when I was a quote unquote good girl, right? Easygoing, fine. Um, he was super helpful, super connected, super present, super loving. When I was a bit more difficult and challenging i.e. like being a teenager or, you know, nothing sort of out of the realm of reasonable. Um, I, I would get the silent treatment and cut off sometimes, you know, days, sometimes weeks. And there was a real punishment that happened there. And I share that part of the story because it did play into boundaries for me. The lack thereof, right? Having really porous boundaries because there was such a fear that unless I was easygoing, unless I was fine and unaffected, and you can see how all of these parts sort of merge together and create yeah. this perfect moment of boundarylessness, right? Because it's like I needed to be fine, I needed to be unaffected, and then I learned that when I was a bit more difficult and challenging, that love and connection and attachment and presence, you know, would be cut off. Right, like really taught me not to be honest. Why understanding our origin wounds is so important to how we relate to boundaries. I know that's the focus right now, how we relate to communication, how we relate to conflict, right? These things play into it. And so, you know, sometimes they might seem really obvious. So, for example, if you grew up in a family system where you needed to be the pleaser, you know, then you might also have porous boundaries later on in life because you're just trying to constantly please people because successfully pleasing people is what makes you feel good and worthy and valuable to the relationships that Mm -hmm. you're in. Having a origin safety wound for example and you know the safety chapter is a tough one right because it includes abuse and we have to we have to talk about that there but you know you could see how you know for safety it can go in a couple of directions where with that wound you could either be you know, super rigid with high walls up because people are unsafe, and I, this is the best way for me to protect myself. Or if sa- safety was internalized differently, maybe safety is about how quickly I can connect with someone and make sure mm-hmm. that a relationship um, stays. Is that and- codependency, then <laughs> certainly, yeah right and so it's like that's what's so fascinating to me about the wounds like it's not black and white it's such a nuanced conversation and the same thing could have happened to me and you but the way that we internalize it will be, will it's endless right and so yeah. how we identify with those wounds can be can be so different True. right and so yeah i mean coming back to that boundaries conversation right it's like I, when I started to realize how I had maintained this role from childhood into my adult relationships, mm. I remember having this moment where, it, again, sort of this profound, simple yet profound moment, yeah. an aha, you know, where I was like, oh my gosh, I keep saying I'm okay in a particular relationship when a boundary is being crossed in like the most wild of ways. And I'm, actually not okay with this. My palms were sweating. My heart was racing. I was like, oh my gosh, you know, I barely speak. And I remember calling, um, my partner at the time, uh, who was contemplating going back to an ex of his, and they were talking and spending time together and all of this stuff. Um, and at the time, I was oh, it's okay, it's fine, whatever you need to do, I get it, I understand. This must be so hard for you, <laughs> you know, the therapist in me. Right? Um, there's context, you know. It's like <laughs> oh, there were so many excuses for it. And when I finally, I was having a conversation with a friend, and I finally came into myself for a moment, like, how do you feel? You know, simple question. How do you feel? It's like this is so disrespectful. This is so not okay. I remember calling and saying that and and ending it. Um, even though he was in contemplation still, ending it never spoke to him after that again. And I always describe this as, you know, for anybody who's ever done cross country skiing and you have the tracks in the snow, it's easier there, right? Than the yeah. router, right. And this was a moment where I jumped off the tracks and I made a new one and it was hard as hell, right? Mm-hmm. It's like it was thick it was deep mm-hmm. snow but i was like i i'm doing it i'm doing that i'm yeah. changing the role that i have held and carried from childhood into my adult relationships i am speaking for the first time like almost like a truth in a romantic relationship that was so scary for me and i knew it was ending right i was choosing for it to end so i knew yeah. what the outcome was going to be but it changed my it opened up my vocal cords and my husband, Connor, laughs because he's like, definitely do not know that woman. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, you have no problems now. And I think it's like when you tr- do it differently yep. for the first time, new, new pattern you're just like, I survived this. I can do this. Yeah. This is the way that I want to live. Right. And, you know, we have such a say when it comes to boundaries, but when we struggle to keep and maintain the boundaries, it's yeah. because an origin wound is activated right. and there is a fear there yeah. because why, think about it. Why don't we maintain a boundary that we say we want to keep Right. It's like there is a fear there that someone's going to get upset with us, that somebody's going to break up with us, that yeah, someone's going to be gonna worse. Right. You think
0: it's going to be worse. You're right. like, well, no, that's going to be worse than if I just say, okay.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, again, even like going back to, you know, what you were talking about in theory versus in practice, you know, it's like this, it's hard stuff because. When we're in it, we want to move away from the things that scare us, that are going to support the story that we've held. But there's something so powerful to going back into the origin wounds to resolve that so when the boundary is there or being crossed, it's not as hard to uphold it. Mm -hmm. right? Because the more time we tend to, I am actually worthy. I do actually belong. I am a priority, right? When we tend to those things, right? Then in the moment, when we go back on our word, when we go back on the boundary that we say we want to hold, like we're more likely to keep it when we don't have to work so hard in believing that we are still worthy, even if it means that the relationship mm-hmm. ends or a person is upset with us or mm-hmm. you know we're not a priority to them something like that right
0: yeah yeah and it feels like for me because it's going to play right into the next one too Ooh, which is okay. basically about the lesson in not letting someone off the hook mm-hmm. when they've crossed a boundary or said mm-hmm. or d- done something that you don't agree with and to not let them off the hook because if you otherwise you're out of integrity. That was the mm-hmm. lesson. Like mm-hmm. you need to have integrity for your truth and mm-hmm. to not let people off the hook, meaning a conversation's had and it's like, oh, well, um, you know, they want some kind of validation or comfort. And then when you go in and save them, right. this is what it felt like for me. When I go in and save them by like, okay, yeah, you know what? Of course you're amazing. Like you're right. Like whatever that situation may be. As soon as you do that by saving them, you have now abandoned yourself again. Mm. And this connection with your inner child or your higher, you know, your oversoul or your, you know, higher self, whatever that may be, whatever you want to call it, um, you're not strengthening that relationship. You're, you're, you're continuing, like there's you're breaking it up and you don't know yourself as well when you get out of integrity. So talk a little bit about what that means. Cause I actually found, I, that was one of them that we, we, I became very early in our work where, um, I thought it was going to be very hard to catch the moments because I just didn't know if I'd be able to identify it, but it happened like twice really soon. And I upheld my boundary and you know what it it like, it was like, kind of like when you turn off the tracks and you go a new direction, like you're just on it now. Yep. Like I just got it. And yep. then it continued to strengthen this bond with myself and my boundaries and my integrity and who I really was and what I really stood for by staying in integrity. So mm-hmm. explain what it means to not let people off the hook so that you stay
1: in integrity. What you were describing is not rupturing the trust with yourself right because every time you know we say we're going to do something and we don't and even though there's a reason for it and there's a fear and all that like we are teaching ourselves that we can't trust ourselves and that that follow through when we can strengthen that muscle right that's it's 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 vital it's vital it's um when we hold other people accountable right when we don't let other people off the hook I think sometimes people are like hear them, they're like, but I don't want to be mean, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, um. And I think it's very important, right, to be able to hold accountability and grace and compassion for the human experience. This very important piece, and I, I, I think we can all use a lesson in that, right? Is like, how do I still remember the context without making excuses? Right Without minimizing, you know my experience of something or minimizing somebody else's, right? Without needing to give an explanation for something and, you know, minimizing or distorting the impact of something. And so you know this is a it almost feels like an art form, right Of like, how do I stand firm in honoring what my experience is? I don't need to annihilate you. I don't need to rip you apart. This isn't what that is. I don't need to sit here and point fingers and blame and this and that. But I also don't need to make excuses, avoid, uh, shy away from, focus so much on the context, which is, you know, one of the things that I did for so long. Um, And again, as a therapist, it's like, oh, this is all I, I do it all the time, right? I'm like, context, 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 right? It's like, that's, we need that. But to not overplay that because we get washed away, our experience gets washed away when we don't say I'm hurt or that affected me or I didn't feel good when you said those words or, you know, whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. And listen, that brings us face to face with you know, it could be a fear of confrontation. It could be a fear of conflict. It could be a fear of, you know, a relationship ending. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's like, there are endless things. And again, it's like, why going back into our story is so important because if we have A fear of conflict because we grew up in a family system where conflict meant abuse or conflict meant, you know, the silent treatment for weeks on end or, Mm. you know, something like that. Then we could exist in relationships, avoiding that, trying to create safety for ourselves by taking a path of opposition and being non confrontational at all. But in that, we lose that space, right? This beautiful space to be able to use our words, open up our voice and be heard. And, yeah. and that's why I sit, I sit here because I, I don't want the listener to be like, okay, you just have to say what you need to say and stay in integrity and do this. It's like, no, no, there's layers to this. And there's, there's complexity to this because before you can do that, you have to understand what keeps you from doing it. One of my favorite I mean, this is the constraint constraint question um, that therapists use, right? Instead of being like, why don't you do this? We ask, well, what keeps you from doing it? That perspective shift is important, right? Because there are, you know, when we sit here and we're like, well, obviously this is a good thing to do, right? Anybody listening to this is like, yeah, I want to be an integrity. I want to be able to trust myself. I want people to be able to hear what it is that I'm feeling, right? Like all sounds nice, but I can't do that okay, why can't I? It? What keeps me from doing it? When we start to answer that question, right, that's going to point us again in the direction of what needs to be healed. What needs our attention? What needs resolution so that I can start to step into this direction of being able to hold another person accountable, really hold myself accountable in that space to say, hey, this is the experience that I had. And I want to share that with you because I want you to know the impact that XYZ had on me. But again, we can't, you know, bulldoze our way into that. We have to understand why that's so hard for us to do and what it is that we need to process and resolve in order to begin to step in that direction. Mm -hmm. When I talked about that that boundaries piece with that the former partner you know one of the reasons why I could do that was because I started to identify my origin pain right where this all birthed i started to spend time with that i started to witness it i started to grieve it right so that i could then move in that direction you mm-hmm. know and so yeah it's um it's not always an easy thing to do especially when we have spent decades of our lives doing it differently, pleasing people, showing up quote unquote perfectly, not being a disruptor, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like there's endless ways in which we have, you know, existed in the world.
0: um, To survive. I mean, these survive. are all survival tactics when we're young, because we literally need our parents to survive. We can't work. We can't drive. Yeah. We can't reach the stove yet. You know, we we literally need our parents. So the fourth big, big takeaway uh, came a little later, but it was um, talking about unconditional love. And mm-hmm. I just, you know, it, it was just so important to hear you say that mm-hmm. love can be unconditional, but. Relationships are not. Yeah. So, what does that
1: mean? That's a big oof moment. It yeah. is. Yeah. We use that language, right? Like, oh, I'm in a, it, this is unconditional. It's like, right. No, lo- love, I do believe, can be, right? right? We can have an unconditional love for someone, but we must have conditions in our relationships, yep. right? We, there must be, right? Because otherwise, People can say, "Well, I can do anything I want to do." Not that most people operate this way, right? But I can do anything that I want to, and then you need to choose this relationship anyway. No, no. There are rules. There are expectations. There are agreements, spoken ones, ideally, right? That we have, and you know, I can love someone, of course, but choose not to be in relationship with them if they're the way that they show up the way that they talk to me the way that they treat me doesn't match with what is workable for me in that chapter of my life we've all heard oh love is unconditional relationships are unconditional it's like that message was such a it felt like such a dangerous one right because it it almost forced people to um have to bypass their experiences and their feelings and be okay yeah. or like find a way to be okay with things and I I think this is such a healthy way to exist in the world, right? That like, yeah, to find what the conditions are, what I'm able what 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 we want to create out of this relationship together, yeah. what we are, and listen, like it can ebb and flow and it can move a bit. Like we can have an expectation um if you're in a monogamous relationship, for example, that we're not going to cheat on each other. Okay. Right. Then that could shift because someone could cheat, and that doesn't mean necessarily, right, that that relationship is going to be over uh, immediately. Right. There's a lot of conversation. There's a lot of navigation that can happen in that space. But I think it's, you know, we know we we have to check in with each other over and over and over again to make sure that the conditions of our relationships are up to speed. A lot of times, couples, for example they have so- certain expectations or agreements for the relationship and then they never check in with each other for the next five years or 10 totally. years, you know? And it's <laughs> like, wait, like the, the agreements are changing and we yeah, yeah. need to be able to communicate about that. And it's like not make, updating
0: your will and having kids right. and all kinds of different things. It's like, no, like obviously things have changed. A lot right. has happened. Right. You've got to keep that stuff up.
1: Yeah. But I think there's, you know, there's an empowerment in that sentence, right? It's like love can be unconditional, but relationships cannot, right? They have to require that. And there's an empowerment there that says like, I don't have to accept anything. Yeah. Right? I don't have to just sit here and be like, well, because I love you, because we agreed to this, like anything can happen here. Like I'm allowed to have conditions to being in this relationship. These are the conditions for us to succeed as friends, as partners, as this, as that, whatever it is, and to not have to be afraid of communicating that and sharing that. And again, of course, right? Like setting the boundaries around that.
0: Yeah. It could be called unboundary love too. It feels like another word for it that could replace it but I like to think of it as like these conditions or boundaries or, or whatever the word you want to use for it, for the relationship that's not unconditional is like, it's supposed to help you know Mm -hmm. how to love me. Right. Like, I'm not going to make it a freaking mystery. I'm going to tell you what you have to do. This is the key to the kingdom, right? If you can, if you can live, if this works for you, great. If it doesn't, fine, we all Mm. should move on. But that's like unboundaried, unconditional love is is not that helpful because it's impossible to imagine that we don't have triggers and we don't have wounds and we don't have things we're working through. And like you said, sometimes we're more sensitive, sometimes we're less sensitive. We just don't navigate life like a Buddha. you know. Mm. We navigate life being triggered. and, And unless we tell our partner or the people that are close to us what those landmines are and what the, what it makes us comfortable and feel safe. Like, how can they be expected to do a good job? It's like giving in, it's like giving a pilot an airplane and no lesson. It's like, we're going to crash. Yeah, They're going to crash and burn.
1: You know, I think it's like (laughs) the conditions are actually what allows a relationship to thrive. Yeah. Right. It's like, otherwise it can just be chaos, you know, and that's, that's it is like, no, no, this isn't meant to like squeeze something, right. It's meant to, to create the environment for the relationship to evolve and thrive. Um, and so, yeah, I, I love that one too. I'm glad that was a, that was one that stood out to you. Yeah.
0: Those, those were the four most transformative. Wow. Sure. And I mean, look, I, I like have, those were literally like, I always write my notes, like they are right at the top. And I have like, infinitely more questions i was going to talk to you about of course some of them got a little bit included but one of yeah. them that i want to ask about because this feels a little nuanced but and miss like miss like i don't quite have a grasp as mm-hmm. to how to see this feel this clearly and execute mm-hmm. this so maybe you can help me what does it take to help someone see you or to see someone else. Like People always say and want to feel seen. They Mm -hmm. want to feel heard. Like This is something feels like like a really deep level, maybe not the deepest level, but this is a very deep level that creates a tremendous connection. Mm -hmm. So is it something I have to do? Is it something someone else has to do? Is this some magical connection Mm -hmm. that you just have to find the right person and you feel seen?
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Help a girl Mm -hmm. out. Help a boy yeah. out. Help us out.
1: <laughs> yeah. I, I, the first thing that comes to mind is that it can be very confronting to see another when what is being asked to be seen requires that person to then see that in themselves.
0: Oh, man. Fucking random.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and it's that part can be because when, one person is being vulnerable. Like, again, we can listen high level and like, yeah, okay, thanks for sharing that with me, yada, 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 right? Like mo- many people can kind of go through those motions. But I think when we're talking about being seen, seen, you know, that like the nuanced scene, um, we're we're talking about uh, someone really deeply connecting to the experience there, there being a level of not that they necessarily walked the same experiences as you did, or,, um, you know, can relate firsthand to that specific thing, but it's there's an access point that happens when a person has seen a deep pain within themselves that then allows them to see a deep pain within another. Mm-hmm. And I think when a person is asking, To have a deep pain of theirs seen by a partner and that, and a partner or a friend or whomever has not, has resisted consciously, unconsciously, it doesn't matter, but has resisted or not been able to see their own deep pain. That can be incredibly challenging. I think it's one of the biggest constraints that I notice. And, you know, because it's like if I have to connect to it and see it with you, then there's an access point for me. And sometimes people don't want to to go there. They don't want to go there. They don't know how to go there. It feels too scary to go there. It means that the idealized, you know, story of their childhood or their parent or whomever is going to get, you know, shifted slightly. Right. Like all of those things can be a deterrent in that, in that way. And so a lot of times, right, it's like, oh, to go into, you know, intimacy, right? Um, going inwards, seeing my inner world, seeing your inner world, having you see my inner world, having you see your inner world, right? It's like where the blocks are for the self, there are blocks for others. There have to be. Right, because otherwise, it like it requires something that you're not ready to meet in yourself, and so mm-hmm. I does it have to one- be the
0: same thing? Are
1: you saying that if someone has like a a
0: wound where they have been abandoned in some way, mm-hmm. or someone has a wound where they were abused in some way, mm-hmm. physically, maybe like yeah. whatever that may be does it have to mirror itself or is it that someone can empathize because they've been hurt this amount or this, or, or, right. or no hurt it by doesn't. This person.
1: Yeah, no, it doesn't have to be the same. Okay. Um, no, not at all. And it doesn't need to be the same story in the sense of like, oh, that's the reason why I can't see you because that's too close to mine, right? Okay. I think to me, it's much more about right that level, like the connection to vulnerability, that that fear of like what this is going to open up. And mm-hmm. so I can stay surface level with you, right? Where I'm like... Thank again, like I said, like, thank you for sharing. And I, you know, yeah, appreciate okay. you, ah, and yeah. you. So that. it's
0: like when someone shares something that's like, makes them cry or like something that hurts them, like makes them feel very insecure, mm-hmm. then you go, okay, here's something that makes me really emotional and something that makes me really feel insecure. Mm-hmm. And then in it, they don't have to be the same at all, but they invoke the same emotion, right. they give you the same. They it's like, it's almost like it, it's like an access point to the amount of your heart that you're willing to show them totally. and your truth. and yeah. you go, look, I'm gonna I'm bringing in like I'm gonna bring in two big bags full. here you go, and you bring me your bags full and then you kind of go, okay. and yeah. and that is what creates the I feel seen is that you're willing to be that level of vulnerable with someone because mm-hmm. as another thing that I like to say is, you know, trust is a big thing in a relationship. and it's like, yeah, I want to trust you, but if you don't give me anything to trust, how do you know I'm trustworthy? You know, right. like you have to right. give someone some, something to be trusted with. And yeah. so you do that for each other. You kind of go, okay, I'm going to meet you there. Mm-hmm. And that is
1: the, I feel mm-hmm.
0: seen, I feel heard.
1: Mm-hmm. Another reason where that I've seen is when now an adult um, who was once a child who um, was a was an emotional support or caretaker for a parent, for example, um, where they were in a role that they should not have been in, um, right. and that parent overshared. Um, they let that child in on very intimate details of their life, their feelings. Right, like the child was really just like kind of along for the ride and saw a lot of it. That is another example where I can see sometimes a person be really closed off or shut down to seeing, feeling alongside of partner, for example, um, because of the very painful experience and exhaustive experience of being in a role of caretaking that emotional experience of a parent. And so Uh, again, right, sort of an unresolved stuff, right? But the unresolved stuff that blocks a person from being able to actually open themselves up, connect, see, hear, understand, you know, be a partner to someone in the way, if we're prioritizing intimacy and vulnerability, right? And so, you know, a lot of this well, I guess I would say all of this would come from something that's unresolved, right? Like, why why would I not be able to or want to see you, hear you, understand you, connect to you, be intimate, vulnerable with you? Mm-hmm. Well, because there's something that's unresolved for me, whether it's, you know, an example like I just gave of a child who had to be, you know, the emotional caregiver um, of a parent to someone who has a part of their story and their own pain that they have yet to touch and be able to resolve. Resolve themselves. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, you think it's like, again, what is that constraint to being able to connect with you? And I think it's why, you know, for for therapists, especially, you know, no surprise that most therapists get into this work to resolve their own stuff. Right. Oh my God. You know, you're preaching the choir. I try and tell people when
0: they get mad if a guru or a therapist or someone that's supposed to be an expert in a field is having a struggle, it's like, why the? Hell do you Um, think that they got into this field? It's
1: like you usually become an expert in something because you need it. Therapists balance the science and the art form. And I think there's, you know, the more truly, right? Like the more integrated, the more resolved we are, right? Like the like we can hold that space in a very different way. And, you know, you have therapists in in any profession, right? Who are like very skilled, you know. Moderately skilled, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And it's like, but, but all of this, right, to see clients, right, to be able to feel, to deeply connect, to have that other person on the other side or in the room or what, you know, whatever the scenario is now, uh, post COVID, right, is like that, so much of that, right, what the other person feels of like, no, no, she really, like I feel deeply seen by this person, right, is has a lot to do with our own resolution, right, right. And listen, it's a skill set, certainly, right? There's an art form to this practice, right? There really is, but there is a need, right? Like there's so many people who are not doing that resolution work and there's gonna be a disconnect there, right? And so, yeah, I think you're talking probably more about, you know, intimate partnership or um, relationship of like, okay, how can somebody really see and feel and connect? It's the same thing though with whomever, It's like the more resolved a person is, the more able they are to deeply see, feel, connect, and understand.
0: The more connected you are to yourself, the more you can connect with others. Yeah. It's a mirror.
1: Relationships are a big mirror. Yeah. And it's, listen, it's a cliche for a reason. Like it's real, you know, it's like, it's absolutely true. What are some
0: signs for people that are sort of walking through their life that, um, that they can look for that are hopefully as simple as possible because these things are mm-hmm. just so hard to see mm-hmm. like it's almost like it takes like a rock bottom or a like a really big event to get you into it so like let's save people from that like what is it that they should look for to get them to go okay i'm going to go i'm going to i'm going to take a next step here to excavate myself Um, like what, what could be happening in their life that would be good signs that they should do a little bit of work? Because look, there are some unicorns out there, I'm sure that end up in this whole, um, uh secure securely attached relationship <laughs> category i've never met one i don't know one but uh, uh but usually we fall into the you know we fall into one of these origin wounds yeah. we fall into an anxious attachment or an avoidant and you know it creates a lot of problems so what are some
1: big signs
0: that you could do some work
1: okay number 1 think about the last time you were really reactive
0: hmm.
1: reactivity is a direct line into it, it points the arrow. And, you know, when we have, listen, we're reactive for good reasons, you know, but boundaries being crossed, we're hurt by something. Um, here's the pattern again, right? Like reacti- reactivity is beautiful, important information. So if you can think back to the last time you were reactive or the things that make you the most reactive, yes. spend time there because they're going to point an arrow to something that's unresolved. Oh yeah. What's a good prompt for that? You're great with prompts. Ooh. There's a
0: lot of prompts in the book. So what's a good prompt that yeah. people could go like right now, sit down and write
1: when I'm blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like the thing that makes me most reactive is mm-hmm, person I am most reactive with is I react when they Right. So just a few there just to like get going. Right. Of just like, yeah, who's who who gets under my skin? Right. Mm -hmm. What's the thing? Right. Is it something they do? Is it a look that they give? Is it is it the words that they speak? Is it the words that they don't speak? Mm -hmm. Right. Like, what's the thing that just gets me going and revs my engine. Right. Cause it's there. That's going to be like, yeah, it's that damn look that you give that makes me feel looked over unimportant. Like you mm-hmm. could give two shits about me or, you know, and it's like, or it's the thing that you do where I'm just like, I've asked you so many times and you will not prioritize what I've asked you to do. Oh, okay. Boom. There it is. Let's mm-hmm. explore that further. Right. So yeah. Reactivity. So important. Big line um in the same vein if there is a time where you are reflecting and you're like wow i blew that thing out of proportion again in the same vein as reactivity but that is a that's a pretty good indicator too where you're like whoa that didn't seem to match what just mm. played out. I have to look at that a little bit closer. <laughs> overreaction right. is a good indicator, yeah. it, it is. And listen, it, sometimes it's hard to, you know, be reflective on that where you're like, oh, yeah, that was like bigger than it maybe needed to be. But, you know, again, it's it's in response to something, right? That's what's so beautiful about our our systems. Like yeah. they're responding to something appropriately. It yeah. might not be this particular moment, right? Mm. But it's responding to something that the system is experiencing appropriately. So we don't have to shame ourselves. We don't have to get upset with ourselves. We just have to get curious and bring that inquiry forward to see like, ooh, okay, I need to like dig around here and see yep. what needs my attention. Um, I love the like, <laughs> you know, when you can give the advice to everyone else, but you can't take it yourself.
0: Why are you saying I mean, I'm not calling you out? <laughs> I mean, right. the only other thing I ever wanted to be in my life before I was a race car driver or while I was a race car driver is I thought I would like to be a therapist. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, second career. Okay. Yeah. It's coming.
0: Oh, um, no. I just do it on the side. You yeah. Know? You're like, no, this is, this is for the fun. real. The real problem is, is when it, it's in a relationship and I go, can I psychoanalyze you right now? And they go, Fuck, no, you can't <laughs>
1: <laughs> stay out. And you're like, listen, it's happening. I'm like, it's, but it I want to. Me. Yeah. Um, so, for so many of us, right? The like, I'm able to give this advice to everyone else. And, you know, but when it comes to me doing it, there's a big struggle there. So, for example, your friend has a, I don't know, like an interview for a job. And you're like, go in there confidently, do it, you know. And you start like kind of preaching and giving that advice. But when it comes to you having the job interview, you are not confident. You're struggling with things. Your, your self-critic is super active. Did it, you know, all of this stuff. And it's like, bam, there it is, right? Like, there's something that needs to be resolved there, and there's a wound totally. there for you, right? If if the thing that you're telling everybody else to do is not something that you can do fairly easily, right? Then there's an inquiry there. Mm -hmm. I know the wrinkle of the nose is like, ooh, what's to look at? (laughs) Unwanted patterns, right? It's like we all have them where you're like, we get into the same fight with the person over and over and over again, or you lose track of what you're even fighting about, but it's the same thing going on and on and on, or you get hooked. I always I use that language, but it like it kind of feels that way where you're like, I'm not, I promise, I go in with good intentions, and then bam, like I'm back like engaging in a conversation that I know I don't want to have with this person, but I couldn't help myself. And I just needed to prove my point or get my point across or something like that. Um obviously patterns are endless. There's so many examples. I keep choosing unavailable, emotionally unavailable people who I continue talking to date, about me again, et cetera, et cetera. You're like, no no, no, no. <laughs> um, and so, you know, again, but those are the things, right? Those are the arrows that are like, okay we, our, our behavior is pointing us to something, right? These patterns that we're like, I don't want to keep doing this never again. Right. People proclaim, I will never do this thing again. Right. And like, we mean it, we mean it when we say it, but then we find ourselves back in the familiar and okay. Things will remain familiar like that until there is more resolution, grieving, witnessing, you know, eventually making that pivot. Um, And so, yeah, those unwanted patterns in our adult life are another great example of, yeah, Mm -hmm. just like a quick bam, like, okay, what's the unwanted pattern that I have in my life? There it is. Okay, I need to examine that more. So those are some good examples of just like quick signs, you know, like the neon sign, it's just flashing there. Look for the reactivity, look for um, the patterns, look for the advice you give, but you can't take, look for the things that don't match and are blown out of proportion, right? Like look for those things and just, Yeah. yeah, get curious about what wound it could be pointing to recently talking to
0: men about Mm -hmm. this sort of masculine feminine balance Mm -hmm. and I think it'd be great to ask you what does it I've been asking a lot of guys like I asked your husband Connor Mm -hmm. about you know a healthy masculine healthy healthy feminine energy like what does a healthy feminine and masculine energy within a woman look like
1: you know the 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 feminine and, and the way it's often described is like the flow, it's it's the it's the life force. You know, it's the it's the playfulness. Um, <laughs> we always laugh when it's like, yeah, the feminine is life and the masculine is death. Um, <laughs> but you know, it's like, no, it's it's. I'm gonna use this language because I think it it ties this all together. Is that to when we resolve? a lot of our pain and our wounds, or we're on, we're in that practice of it, right? Not the sense of completion, but when Mm. we are resolving those things, we're touching them, we're, we're in conversation with them. I really believe it's when those, um, like the light traits get to come forward. Mm. So, you know, the list the vigilant, masculine energy to protect you, Right. Starts to dissolve. Exactly. Right. And that's what I was going to say. Like, you know, we've got lists of like the the shadow masculine and the shadow feminine and the light masculine and the light feminine. It's like, I just want to tie this all together because, you know, yeah, like the hypervigilance, the, you know, the aggression, the this, Mm -hmm. like it's the more that we resolve, the more anyone right, can steps into the light. Right, so it's like the more I can step into my playfulness, for example, the more I can step into my flow, the more I can step into my ease, the more I can put down the like go 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 and p- production and you know like winning and this and it's it's so funny right because you win anyway you know you produce anyway like it all just it it all happens but the drive is not coming from the pain right? Mm -hmm. The drive is coming from the resolution. Oh my gosh. Like I, I actually, I feel that saying that where I'm like, yeah, that's it. Right. Is like life comes from the resolution. It doesn't come from the pain, right? Living doesn't come from the pain. I -hmm. often say that our pain, our wounds and our gifts are really close to one another. Like our, so many of our gifts birth from our pain. There's a point in life where we can, we don't need to be motivated by the pain with the gifts anymore. Like a lot of times people are so afraid to resolve the pain because they feel like they're going to lose the gift. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like, whatever it is, exactly right. The edge, that's it. We've talked about that. Yeah. You will not lose the edge just because you resolve things, right? Your gift gets to remain. It just gets to be driven by your healing instead. And so, you know, back to your question, like, men, women, masculine, feminine energies that we all hold, right? Is like the goal is to resolve as much as possible so that you get to be in the light with all of those traits, characteristics, qualities that exist on those lists, right? Mm-hmm. And the to be driven by the healing. It is a, pro- I promise you it is a better existence. And I promise you that you will not lose the incredible things that you have gained from your story so many people say well i wouldn't be who i am without the pain without the story and like you're right absolutely right mm-hmm. i wouldn't be me you wouldn't be you and every single listener wouldn't mm-hmm. be who they are today without the story and I'm like well i wouldn't go back and change the story it's like yeah yeah we get caught in this space of like so i'm just going to like thank you for the pain you know <laughs> it's like like listen it's played out we're here Yeah, that was my story. You've got your story. And now it's time to resolve. And I can be I can acknowledge and be grateful for the gifts that I am now using in this world that are motivated and coming from a healing place, right? Mm-hmm. But I don't need to be grateful for the pain, the abuse, the this, the that, the things that I witness. I don't have to be grateful mm-hmm. for that. Mm-hmm. I can acknowledge that that's my story. I can see what birthed from it. Right. I can hold on to these gifts that I have that came from that specific story that needed to happen the way that it did in order for me to unfold into this human I am today. But I don't need to sit here and protect. A story or diminish it or minimize it or validate it in some weird way or, you know, protect it or rationalize it or intellectualize it, right? Like the main part, like a big part of what I try to say in the book is like, we have to call our story the story you know, we have yeah. to name the things, the things. And if we tamper with it at all, we tamper with our healing, right? Mm-hmm. If we have to say, Oh, but it all happened for like good reason. You know, it's like, you no, know, that takes away from us being able to connect to the actual pain and the actual wounds. So I know I moved away from your question, but I got on a, I got no, on a that's little good. Robier. That's good. That's,
0: that's the flow. I mean, the flow. it feels so much like maybe, and I've I'm not going to go into detail why I, all the reasons why I think this, but it's like the masculine is kind of like the thing you want or like the aspiration or the goal. Mm. And then the feminine goes, mm. let's go. And just yeah. like, like flows with it and mm. allows whatever to come through to come through because we think we always know the mm. best way for things to happen. But when the universe goes ahead and lines it up for us, it happens in ways that we could never orchestrate ourselves. Yeah. And then you go, oh, wow. Yeah.
1: Yeah that's
0: pretty great. Like, what if I just, you know, I need to be in that space more often. What do you think is the, um, you know, again, on this sort of topic of masculinity and femininity, there's so, I feel like there's so many men that are confused and I feel like there's, um, and rightfully so, I think at this point in time, but also, Um, you know, there's like a resistance to the word patriarchy and, Mm. um, but maybe, maybe just highlighting what could come more into balance
1: for men and for women. Men grew up the men we know, um, in some ways, maybe it's shifting a little bit now, but, you know, men grew up very conditioned to, not feel, you know, there's no surprise, right? Not feel, not be connected to emotion, um, not be vulnerable, the emotion that they were able to express or connect to is anger, um, which often comes out as, you know, aggression. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of you know, I, I think one of the things I hear from men a lot is like, you know, I guess if they're if they're dating women, women want us to be vulnerable, but then when we're vulnerable, they see that as either a weakness or they see that as a turnoff or like they don't know how to be with it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think there's also there's just a like there's a lot of war on men. War on like that that's going on. There's a lot of hatred. Um and T- towards anybody right? it's not, just, not just directed there's a at lot them. of identity politics going on there's a lot of
0: victimization going on there yeah. are a lot of problems but there is a lot of drama around it too
1: yeah and i, I remember seeing a post um where a, a person a, a therapist had posted some statistics about um men and suicide mm-hmm. and um there were endless comments in that instagram post of Uh, presumably women um, saying like the job's not done until they all kill themselves or the like I mean it was beyond it was beyond and that hurts me to see um, there's so much anger and you know the collective Irresolution. I've used the word unresolved probably like a hundred times today, but to think about like the irresolution that is the collective irresolution that makes us hate each other, that makes us not find a way to come together and hold again that context, right? Which does hold accountability um, with grace and compassion. Mm -hmm. I would say to your question, I wish that more people could hold that balance to to your question. What do I think we need to be doing? You know, it's like we need to be able to hold accountability with grace and compassion for ourselves and with others. It's not an excuse. Obviously there are plenty of people in history, in the world today Mm -hmm. who who abuse their power, who, um, you know, behave in atrocious ways. Absolutely. Um, But we, we use broad strokes instead of calling out specific people. you know we 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 use the irresolution, right on the 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 collective scale, and we stay in just this angry and hateful place. and that's a disconnector, always, always will be, right? There's no bridge there. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, that's my wish. You know, is that we can be reminded. It's funny, I'll I'll tie it like there's a part right at the end of the book. I talk about um something that Michael Kerr says, which is think of your mother as your grandmother's daughter mm-hmm. and see mm-hmm. the perspective that shifts. Oh,
0: yeah. I totally it feels similar to like see yeah. my inner child and know yeah. that my mom was a daughter and my, you know, yeah. like just everybody was just a yeah, kid and you
1: know I'm a I'm a a newish mother. Um, I have a 21 month old, and you know when you are close to a little human like that, you know, as a little boy, um, you know, like that's the that's the that's the reminder, right? Mm-hmm. Is like that person you hate or that collective group of humans that you hate. It's like we have lost the story. Yeah you know, we've lost the story. We've lost the reminder that we're all wounded, Mm. you know, and again, not an excuse, right? Plenty of people who have abused power or, terror, you know, like exist in the Mm -hmm. world in a really awful, awful way. Absolutely. Right. But to be able to balance that feels so important to me. And, you know, when you're around babies and you're like, ah, we all, yeah, we all started there. Every single one of us. Aww. And there is a big, grand, deep story, right? And like ah, we could all just get to know these stories yeah. a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. And you know, at the very minimum. Right. If we can start to get to know our story a little bit more, if I can start to get to know my partner's story a little bit more, my friend's story a little bit more, my parents' story a little bit more, my sibling's story a little bit more. How many relational
0: situations are we in where we don't actually know how our mom was treated growing up? We don't actually know what happened with our dad's dad. Like we don't actually, you know, we don't hear any stories, you know, it's crazy. Okay. Well, Um, that's such, it's such a good point. Um, maybe we could finish off here with just, um, uh, kind of giving people some insight. If people said yes to growth, like if people are like, Hey, like I'm ready. Like, where are, where are all those ways that you can, like, what are the best ways to grow? And also what are the best access points? Meaning Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. a child, relationship, (laughs) a dog, a mom, like, where Uh are those like hot buttons? Cause I feel like I just, you know, you know me, I'm always talking about relationships because everything else I just like, I'm cool with, but like, you know, people get into relationships and they get mad if they get, you know, if they get upset, it's like, dude, it's meant to bring out all the shit. Like relationships are like, you want to grow? Stay in, you know? Um, so like, where are the places where people can go? I'm willing to stand in the fire. And then what are the tools when you're in the fire to go, okay, I'm going to get through. And, Mm. and that,
1: what is that path? Mm mm-hmm well certainly like intimate relationships are the greatest I love that you started with kids like have a baby (laughs) yeah (laughs) right I'm sure yeah like maybe don't jump in right there but um lol it happens sometimes (laughs) of course but it is wow the mirror is it's big but any intimate relationship is going to do that for you certainly um initiatory experiences right so like you know pushing your edge a bit. You know, I think there's something that happens when it's like you you like cross that line of of oh this is really cozy and comfy for me, but when you kind of pass that threshold, right? I think we meet parts of ourselves. And I'm sure you had experiences like this when you were when you were driving to getting to the place where there's the darkness, um where you come into contact with the darkness, you know, like there is you're going to grow quite a bit. In that space, fear. I, I was listening to, do you know who David Goggins is? Oh, yeah. He's like, people think it's masochistic, but it's not for me. It's like, I don't grow in the light, right? I only grow from the dark. And so I, I exist there. I want to stay there because that's the way that I grow and evolve. My suggestion is not to go to Gauken style, but um, you know, there is something to, you know, whether you do that work with a therapist, um, whether you do that in a retreat group setting, I've loved yeah, there's some of my most favorite experiences of life, right? Is running retreats and having. You know, twelve strangers come and do deep, deep, deep work and seeing the impact of strangers witnessing one another. And mm-hmm. like I said before, it's like, I don't need the person who put the wound there in the first place to be the person who witnesses it. right? Sometimes it's a stranger. Sometimes it's someone you've known for twenty four hours who's there. And so, you know, finding, clinicians or finding practitioners who you respect, who you trust, right? Like getting to know their work a little bit and maybe going to work with those people. Obviously as a therapist, I'm always mindful of like, do I, you know, do I support this? Do I not? But I I think that there are, obviously there's a lot of, um, you know, psychedelic treatment, um, that is, that is coming into therapeutic practice. Um, legal some places, not legal other places. Mm-hmm. Very mindful again of that, but, you know, I know plenty of people who have had such incredible experiences, um, in a Me. therapeutic environment, you know, yeah. where it's deeply, 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 deeply yeah. healing. And of course, right. Like, again, you're meeting yourself in a very different way in an experience like that. Um, when you're in it, it's not linear. You've probably heard it before, um, but just the reminder, right that this is a dance. You do sometimes take a couple steps forward and then many, many, many steps back. And sometimes you, you know, move or the lesson has to come back again in different form, in different shape and different size. But having good people in your life to support you in that space so that you're not walking the path by yourself, like sometimes we do have to take, The walk on our own with certain things, right? Where it's like, I don't need people to hold my hands in this space, but to make sure that your support is there. I think a lot of times people, you know, unfortunately, right? There are many people in this world who don't feel like they have people in their lives they can turn to and share the most intimate details with. And, you know, from I, I think that's one of the most important things when you're walking this path is to become a part of something, whether that means joining a men's group or women's group or whatever, like even if it's a virtual group, like, but that there is a community sure. for you to feel supported, a community where people can reflect things back to you or continue to process with you, um, you know, to open up with at least one person to let them know, you know, what it is that you are navigating yeah. through if you don't have a partner or if you, you know, if you don't have, um you know, a family member, you would, you would
0: share that with. And so saying the words out loud is so powerful. I mean, you see it all day, every day in your work, but when somebody has to say the words out loud, it's just like, it unlocks the emotion and helps it flow through you.
1: Yeah. And just that, like, no matter how hard it is, like, even though you can't see it in the moment sometimes, right. That like the, the, the dots don't make sense or they're not all connecting. It's like to trust, uh, you know, again, I know it's like one of those things that people are like, Oh my God, I've heard it so many times, but there is something to trusting the process truly, right. Yeah. That like this process is going to lead you somewhere. Mm-hmm. Keep going. Pause. If you need to take breaks when you need to certainly, right. Like I've had plenty of people who are like, take a break from therapy and then, you know, a year later poke back up, you know, it's like, yeah, that's it. Right. Like pause when you need to take a break, go out into the world, do the thing, see what it's like. Right. And then sort of re-enter back into the space when you need more support. So yeah, just again, grace, compassion with the self as you move through it, gentleness and awareness that, yeah, like, ugh it can shift the way that you see the world and see people and the way that you've held them. Um, and so sometimes it can feel a bit destabilizing, um, but with proper support and good alignment with the people you choose to be a part of that support system, there's some beautiful stuff in there. It really is. Yep. It really is.
0: Well, thank you for sharing that beautiful stuff and helping people step into a reality that's more peaceful and more joyful. It does not mean they're excluded from pain. It does not mean that's not part of life. But uh, I always think that the work, the reason for the work is because I want to be happier more of the time. And I also want to reach higher levels of joy. Yeah, like I want to be able to like some. My heart breaks open to the pain; it breaks open equal and opposite to the joy. Mm-hmm. And like the more we can give ourselves permission to just go into deeper spaces, mm-hmm. the more we open our heart up. It's kind of like that vulnerability game of like, oh,
1: how far are you gonna go? Okay, I'll meet you there. Yeah, so, it's thank such you. That's a good point. It's such mm-hmm. a good point. I think Brene Brown. I it said it maybe in a TED talk um, like you can't pick and choose which feelings you turn down and up. Right. <laughs> right. So it's like when you turn the dial down, you turn it down on all of them. When you turn it up, you turn it up on all of them. And I love, I think you just, you know, you, you said it there. It's like, hmm. yeah, you're going to feel the sadness, but then you're also going to feel the joy. And yeah, like it's a decision. Um, again, sometimes we need our hand to be held, but a decision to, to turn up the feelings and to step wow. into that. So Hold the
0: hand. I know. Congratulations. I'm so proud of you. I know how hard you you. work. I know. I remember the moments when you're like, "Okay, I'm deep in book stuff. We, you know, we 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 need to do. We need to take a break from therapy now." (laughs) And you were working so hard. So I'm just like so proud of you. I I've never written a book, but I have had a couple books, and I just know, like, even from my side, it's a lot of work. So, um, congratulations, and I can't wait to you know just witness the world as we move forward and having people like you share this information and people healing.
1: Thank you. I appreciate you. Yeah. Miss you, dear. (laughs) Yes, Right back.
0: Thanks everybody for listening to the pretty intense podcast today. I hope you enjoyed it. If you like what you heard today and you want to hear more, please click on the subscribe button.